from the offices of Melman, Castanetti, Rosen, and Thomas. Just footsteps from the White House, the heart of the nation's capital. This is 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. Here's your host, C.R. Wooters. Welcome to 14th NG, the podcast sitting at the intersection of business and policy. And Happy New Year. We are sitting squarely in the middle of a government that's only partially open. But rather than how we get this government back open, I thought it'd be fun this week to talk about uh, another action that happened in the last couple days. Uh, A whole bunch of new freshmen showed up uh, to Congress, both in the House and the Senate. And so I have with us today Ashley Jones. She set up John Barrow's office. Um, She's currently Brad Snyder's chief of staff, and she's moving uh, to a leadership office in the new Congress. And also, um, my buddy Steve Harrow, my colleague here, um, has a chief of staff to a couple members of Congress, um, both in the House and in the Senate. Um, So Steve and Ashley are going to give us a little sense of what it's like to be a new member of Congress. Uh, What's it like to set up your office? And how uh, how do you start getting stuff done? All right. I hope you enjoy this. And uh, here's Ashley and Steve. All right, Ashley, Steve, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you for having us. Thank you. This is uh, this is Steve's first time co-piloting in here, so, you know. It's so, a great product. Honor to be included, <laughs> CR. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, before we go anywhere else, Ashley, you just made some news this week. So uh, what's your new gig? I did, yes. I'm excited. I'm going to be joining uh, the leadership staff of Assistant Speaker Ben Ray Lujan, so starting at the beginning of February. And in that world, that you're, you're working with a bunch of new offices, right? So that's kind of relevant to what we're talking about here. Um, while that is your job, we're probably going to be talking about your former jobs. Both um, Steve and Ashley have um, set up and and started a, a number of offices, and I just wanted to give some sense, some folks, a little bit of sense on how that goes, how you staff up, and things like that. So let's start with this. So you win in November. You're a ha- newly elected House member. November for usually after the first week of November. What the hell happens next? I can pinpoint it back to the dates. Uh, Martin Heinrich got elected on November fourth, two thousand eight. He asked me to be his chief of staff on November seventh. I accepted on November eighth, and from there it was absolutely crazy uh you have no resources um, but everybody wants you you become one of the most popular kids in town and uh, and everyone wants a job and you just you start vetting and you hope that you can open the first day with uh you know a handful of people in dc helping you out to make sure the trains run on time and folks that be can be doing the casework back in the state and that's what we did and and then that first quarter uh both from the official and the unofficial side it's just pandemonium and you do whatever you possibly can to keep your head above water uh, while coaching a brand new member on the realities of Congress uh, and also getting staffed up. Ashley what do you think you know you win in November what's the hardest thing you remember or these freshmen you know there's 100 new members what are they going through right now they, last week they had their open houses what's happening They are now? drinking from a fire hose right now I've talked to several just in the past couple days that you know just say you know gosh I can't believe how hard this is and it's overwhelming there's so much going on and I tell them it's never going to be as hard as it is right now and that is that has definitely been my experience um, you know it's even finding a district office 
those things aren't necessarily easy. It's, you know, definitely depending on your district. If, um, like when I was with Mr. Barrow, is it a big, expansive rural district? So you're taking your, your limited resources. Are you having one big main office? Are you having two offices? Are you having satellite offices? Are you trying to get your city councilman or mayor to give you kind of a free space um, in City Hall to do some local office hours? Um, if you're in an urban, more expensive area, you know, like uh, my current boss, Congressman Brad Schneider, it's like one main office, but we just actually opened, a, we were able to get a satellite location in Waukegan um, in City Hall. So that's fresh on the mind. We just did an open house there and then figuring out a way to do neighborhood office hours, but rent can be incredibly expensive. You want to find a place that is safe um, for your staffers um, in this new heightened era that we're in. And also you want a place that's got good visibility and often all those things, depending on the area that you're in, can be quite costly. So you're just making those decisions on where to figure out to, you know, plant your plant your flag. Ashley brings up a very good point about the reality of resources and and how limited they are uh, for members of Congress, but yet you need to make the most out of them to get the job done. And so, you know, these new chiefs of staff, they are the chief operating officers and chief financial officers of an 18 employee small business. And they're still trying to coach their member on how to be a member of Congress and then learn the job themselves. I mean, it is a, it's a very difficult time that requires uh, a, a lot of patience on the part of the chiefs of staff, but also the folks who are dealing with them. So both of you guys have dealt with folks who've moved from some other location to Washington. Um, you know, you almost have to help them figure out how to move and where to find an apartment and all that kind of stuff. In addition to all that stuff, how do you deal with staffing in the meantime, right? So you have a campaign staff that may or may not want to come to Washington. They may or may not, you know, have the ability to come to Washington. Um, they may not be the right people to come to Washington. How do you deal with that? Well, I have my experience with both of my um, bosses is that the campaign always continues. <laughs> so a part of that for us has always been alleviated that we've needed, you know, a constant, you know, as soon as you win the next day. Um, as is the case with Mr. Barrow, we, we literally got the call the next day that we were being redistricted out of our district. So the very first election in 2004, um, victory, uh, we did not get to savor it very long because we knew that we were going to be moving from Athens down to what ended up being Savannah, Georgia. So it never, for some members, it never really stops. So then you do have an opportunity to look at who's kind of a, you know, a better fit for being in the congressional office, who wants to move, you know, some people you do want to reward their hard work and yep. All the sweat equity that they've put into helping the boss get there to give them that opportunity, you know, to go to to go to D.C., but then also to also keep your political operation going, because the reality is for a lot of these guys, you're thinking about the next reelect, you know, on on day one. Yeah, I was going to ask that next question, which is when do you start thinking about the reelect? Um, day I, one. <laughs> so, Steve, you set up office and you mentioned Mr. Heinrich's office. You set up his House office and a Senate office. I suspect that's different in the Senate for a new member. Very different. Uh you have a better understanding, I think, with, with the Senate of what you're going to need on the outset. You also have more resources to get things set up. So like, the biggest difference between the House and the Senate for me was we basically started with a tabula rasa, whereas the Senate, you had a pretty good understanding and organizational chart of what you needed, and you also got your committee assignments earlier, so you could start working on that ledge staff. Like in the House... I didn't hire the ledge staff until the end of January, early February, because we wanted to wait to get, you know, when you had so many limited resources and you were going to have to uh, only have, you know, 
to at most three legislative assistants and maybe an LC, you had to wait for those committee assignments before you made some decisions. Whereas in the Senate, because you do have larger staff, you have to cover a lot you know, a lot more issues, you're gonna have a lot more committees. You could start hiring your legislative staff during transition or early January in a way that you can't. Cannot, in both instances, you also have to get your political operation going. So you mentioned um, committees and stuff. So as we sit here, we're recording this on the 9th. I know that steering and policy for both Republicans and Democrats in the House are meeting today, tomorrow, the next week or so, trying to populate these um, committees. Um, How did you go about figuring out what committees you wanted and how do you get them? Um, My guess is every candidate kind of runs on their couple of things. You know, if you're a sheriff, you, you, you have a perspective on that. If you're a businessman, you have a perspective on that. But outside of that, um, how do you figure out how to, you know, what committees to even ask for? Well, that's a good question. And I think it's both what the interest is of the of the member and what the district is. But it's also, you know, as I did this process just recently with the congressman of what's also available and what's what's doable from your region. Mm-hmm. So you've got the steering and policy committee that is, you know, broken up into regions. So if you've got three people from your region that are already on energy and commerce, even if the, the boss is a um, energy specialist or healthcare specialist, you know, the odds are unless, you know, the ratios are changing drastically to allow for more people from one region, you need to also go for what is attainable. Um, so for us, you know, with Congressman Schneider, for example, he obviously has had a long time interest in, in ways and means. And it was also there was only one other person from our region on ways and means. So we knew that there would be a good opportunity that we could make that play. And he put in his request. And we're hopeful today that we'll find out who'll get on the committee. For us, it was always a kind of a two-part process, and I, I, I've been advising folks on this. The member has to know what her or his long-term goal is, and if, if it's in the House, in terms of what their, uh, their exclusive will be. Whether they want to be a ways and means person, whether they want to be a probes person, or energy and commerce, or financial services person, and establish that at the get-go with steering and policy and with the speaker. Uh, but then recognizing you're not going to get your exclusive in your freshman in your freshman term then you look at both your constituency your district and your passion and so for martin heinrich 10 years ago uh, from new mexico huge federal footprint in his district was sandia national labs the authorizing committee for sandia national labs is with the armed services committee uh, and and then you also have a lot of uh, a lot of federal land Uh, in that district and in the state, and he was very passionate about conservation. And so it was, okay, Speaker Pelosi, 10 years ago, I want to one day be on energy and commerce. I know I'm not going to get that in my freshman term, but given the importance of San Diego National Labs, given the importance of the federal land in my district, I would love to be able to get on armed services and natural resources. Steve, that's a great point. And we went through that same exercise with Brad Um, when he was in Congress the first time. He put in a request, you know, for ways and means to establish that precedent. We knew as a freshman he wouldn't get it. And then just in this past Congress, when he came back to Congress, we did it again. We put ways and means as our first choice. We knew as a freshman second time around, though I say he was my redshirted freshman, that we wouldn't get we wouldn't get ways and means that time. But we had now twice established that he wanted to get on ways and means we found that judiciary would be a great fit for the issues also that he cared about so now at the start of this congress you know we were able to kind of make that play with more seniority so it is important for people to figure out you know which exclusive they do you know want to be in and on the senate i would give the same advice 
but you also the benefit of the Senate, you get a lot more committees as well. Uh, so you get to, to, to play to a lot more passions and constituencies with what you ask for and then also what you get. I always think it's interesting, you know, um, newer members of uh, the three of us share that in common that we've all spent some time dealing with newer members, but these folks run on fixing healthcare and things like that. And they get here with like, congratulations, you're on the rules committee or whatever, right? You know, you get, there are, there are only so many places. I feels to me in the Senate, no matter what you ran on, you can kind of talk about it. You probably have some portfolio that lands there. There are statewide positions, you know, there's a bunch of ways that you can kind of leverage that. I think when you go to become a house member, sometimes, you know, you may have run on healthcare and you care about healthcare. But you're on nothing close to healthcare. I mean, that's a tough transition. Must be for these members as they come back from the the the, the rhetoric of campaign to the kind of actual you know knocking down and and, and hammering yeah, and, of actual. Yeah, and so that you know what you have to do then is you have to go find what that niche is for you, recognizing that on the macro issues, you know, the committee chairs and some of the folks who, you know, have been there are going to take that. But like a very good example, and again, I keep, you know, going back to, to my old great boss, Martin Heinrich, was when we were dealing with ACA in, in 2009 and 2010, he was able to find a niche uh, to get something into that bill with regard to the Indian Health Service and reauthorizing the Indian Health Service, which hadn't been done for, I believe, over a decade. But we got that into the bill because he had you know, very substantial Native American population in the state and folks, other folks didn't want to, you know, he, he said, hey, look, but he put his hand up and said, I can do this. And he did. Agreed. I do think that's when it's uh, incumbent upon the staff to get creative, to make the boss relevant on those issues that are important. So, for example, you know, we obviously didn't get on Ways and Means this past time, but tax reform was, you know, near and dear to the congressman's heart. So, you know, he had a conversation with New Dem leadership and expressed an interest. So he became a co-chair of the New Dem Tax Reform Task Force. So we were still able to engage in those issues and interact with stakeholders, even though we we weren't on the committee and we were able to kind of build up a profile that's just going to hopefully segue you know naturally into our committee work so when did you feel like you had your feet underneath you the house is definitely different than the senate right the senate your your, your re-election while it feels like tomorrow is six years away it's a longer time um in the house you know primary primary opponents show up you know, five minutes after you're there, you know, general election opponents, five, you know, five minutes later, you're picking assignments, you're moving to D.C., you're figuring out whether or not you move your family here or what you do with that stuff. When did you feel like your offices were as settled as they could be? I feel like the the first six months, you know, I think at the six month mark for by then you're mostly staffed up in the D.C. and in the district office. The boss has figured out where, you know, they're going to live. You know, your committee assignments, you know, things start to feel settled. You know, that being said, you know, it is never a dull moment and you're drinking from a fire hydrant every single day. That's part of what I have loved about the job and what's kept me kept me going and engaged all these years. Um, so and the short answer is you never quite feel settled. Um, I think if you're feeling settled, almost it should be like something something is going wrong. What, what am I missing? Um, but just in terms of practicality, really six months in terms of staffing. So that first August recess usually yes. ends up being your staff is turned over if it's going to turn over, your issues are relatively settled, um, you you know, the chief of staff knows what they're doing, um, and the member has some concept of how to deal with Washington. Yeah, yeah they, know, they know how to find the floor now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be different for everybody based on, you know, kind of temperament and experience. I mean, I, I was very fortunate to be able to you know, have seven years of, of congressional experience prior to becoming a chief of staff. So I kind of, 
I kind of got how operations worked and I had I had an idea of what an office, how it should run, what it should look like, and how I could best advise the member on it. So I, I, I was very fortunate in that regard. I was probably comfortable with the day-to-day execution of my job within like four to six months, but I was never settled. And so, I mean, you, you hit on a very good point, Ashley. If, if, you, if you feel like you're settled, something's amiss. Something's amiss, especially, especially for a freshman office when you have to recognize that your hardest election was not the one you just got through, it's the one coming up. Uh, and if, if, you've, if, if you sit back and um, breathe and think that everything is hunky-dory, that's when you get caught by you know, your right flank, or in some cases you can get caught by your left flank, as you know, some of these members have. Yeah, Absolutely, <laughs> and think about how technology is changing our jobs from the time that we've been doing it, Steve, you know, where you've gotta think now that everything is being Facebook lived, whether the boss is just uh, on a Saturday going to grab coffee and a constituent pulls them aside and asks their opinion about something, to a town hall meeting, and um, just there's, there's a lot more that's coming at these members than you know, ever before. I think that's right. And you bring up an interesting point. I also think it's also an interesting opportunity, right? I mean, I think we've seen some of these younger members use Instagram stories and a bunch of other things to tell a story about how their Congresswoman Otacio-Cortez, um, you know, she kind of documented her, like, dad driving her to work the first day, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and, you know, and talks a lot about, like, here's what I did the first week, and here's... And that is, like, um, I think it's a double-edged sword because everyone can do that to them, but it's also a great... I mean, you know, uh, some folks live pretty far away. If you're on the other side of the Mississippi, right, it's hard to get home, and when you're home, it's hard to do 50 events in a weekend, right? You can't be everywhere. Um, I had the fortune of working for a, a member who was who was an airplane ride away and an air and and a, a member who was a car ride away. There's pluses and minuses with both, but the technology certainly helps you now um, seem more relevant to folks who want to follow you. I mean, I assume. Uh, Absolutely, I do think that there is a great opportunity with this technology. It feels like. Um, Congress is more accessible to people than ever before, and it's a great way to reach out. Obviously, I think these younger members that are joining Congress, which are great and are bringing that new life and energy, but I also think it can be hard for some of the older members that have not engaged in those platforms. And, you know, when constituents, especially if it's, you know, neighboring states, see some person reaching out in a way and they feel like they have a real relationship with their member of Congress and then someone else doesn't see them, I think that people are really going to have to look at how they're doing business and how they're interacting, you know, with their folks in ho- at home to make sure they're, you know, staying in touch and being as accessible as they see other people. I started out in communications, you know, way back uh, at the beginning of my career in this. And so I do appreciate the tools that are available to offices now, to members to communicate with their constituents. That said, the increasing number of tools also spreads you thin in terms of how to execute and sometimes you rush sometimes you make mistakes and the reality is is that I go back to the 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 resource problem that we were talking about at the beginning of this where you know I don't think folks realize but in the house you're capped at how many employees you can have in an office 18 full-time four part-time for a total of 22 no office can really afford to have 22 employees anymore Uh, that you you're usually seeing between you know 15 and 17 employees and that's both for the for DC and for the state. That number, the 18 for 22 total, was set in 1974. And so one has to realize that these offices 
are are having to deal with the high demand of you know constituent engagement uh, and and trying to communicate through you know all these mediums with having the same resources before a fax machine existed. Yeah. How did you get your bosses caught up on issues, right? Because if you run for Congress, you probably run for Congress on, let's even say you did 10 issues. Well, now there's a million issues, right? You know, I mean, I don't know anything about tax reform. How do I do that? How did you deal with that? Did you just give them time? Did you send them home with briefing books? Did you stick them in a room with a bunch of people who knew some stuff about it? How'd that go? It's a combination of all the above. You know, I think some of it is a lot um, members do on their own, you know, on their iPads at night, reading the news and staying informed. Um, but it's also, you know, briefing books, you know, depending on the committee of jurisdiction that they're on, the committee staff can provide great briefings. You know, I've had uh, experts come in from CRS, you know, to, to do briefings for the boss and also different stakeholders on the issue. So um, it's a combination of, of all of those things. And it is when you talk about the other incredibly limited resource, not just the dollars um, to run your operation, but it's the member's time is the most valuable resource. And when you think about, you know, all the things that have to get done every single day, I mean, you could, it could be a 24 seven job. So there is time, you know, every night that, you know, we block off for the boss to, you know, take his materials home and to read them and to study. So he knows what's going on in his committee the next day. He knows the issues of the day. He's one that, you know, engages regularly with his constituents. So almost every weekend, you know, it's a Congress on your corner type activity. Mm -hmm you know and they ask him what's going on and he's got to at least have somewhat of an informed answer that he knows and that stuff takes time so it's a lot of airplane reading material too using that time and how do you do um how do you deal with the difference between what's on the floor tomorrow or next week or what's in your committee next week and health care Right. Like I keep coming back, like what's the difference between Medicare and Medicaid and how's that work and what's the reimbursement schedule? And, you know, p- people expect uh, offices to know this kind of stuff. How do you balance the, you know, next week on the floor we're discussing X and, you know, issue Y is just generally known? That, that's where I think the strategic planning comes in. Like what I would encourage all offices to do is, uh, you know, at the President's Day recess do a strategic planning session with the entire staff bring everybody together get that new member to write a mission statement get that new member to put down goals and objectives at the end of the 116th congress i will have wanted to accomplish x and it's not you know it's not you know pass a major healthcare bill it's 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 incremental stuff and that allows you by putting that on paper laminating it and having it on every single staffer's desk they now know that the precious time that they have to be proactive, because most of these jobs are reactive, uh, the precious time they had to be proactive, they know what the boss's focus is, and they will work toward that. Because the reality is, the most common answer, <laughs> you are, even though everything sounds great, the most common answer you're gonna have to give to folks with everything that comes at you is no. So you gotta know what to say no to, and then where you focus your proactive time. Absolutely. I would, uh, we always kind of started in both offices of, you know, kind of when you think of the endorsement from your local paper, what do you, what, if we could write our perfect endorsement from our ed board, what would that look like? So let's start our exercise at the beginning of the Congress. And I think it's just especially important for these new members. What in a perfect world would you, would they say about you? And then that kind of shapes it. But you're right there 
too few ledge staff. There are too many issues that you really do kind of have to set your top three priorities. Mm -hmm. And then every day you reset the button to these are the priorities. And and, and I would do it because mo most of what these goals are, you know, tend to revolve around legislation. But I would encourage offices not not to fall prey to oh well then let's just let's just you know have a long lunch with the ledge staff and the ledge director and the chief of staff no you get everybody together you go to the district you sit in a room with the entire staff so the casework staff gets to weigh in the field staff gets to weigh in press staff gets to talk about what's feasible you get to hear about what's important to the constituents and everybody has buy-in and you avoid the natural reality of what happens in a congressional office where you have this us versus them because you're separated by ge geography whether it's an airplane or even a car there's just a difference in the execution of jobs between the two types of offices, the more buy-in, collective buy-in you have with the full staff creates a better us reality for the operation. Steve, I'm so glad you mentioned caseworkers because I do think for some of these new members, it's redefining what success is. You know, there have been a few that I have talked with of if it's helping guide them on staff, like I need a healthcare expert because I'm going to rewrite the Medicare law. That's a, that's a great goal. That is a lofty goal, and I, I encourage those. But also, you know, let's find the, you know, the smaller, low-hanging fruit that you we know you can get across the finish line. One of those is casework. You'll have caseworkers in the district office, and they'll be working every day. We started cataloging uh, what we were doing in our first year in terms of money we received back. And in the first year, we were able to get just over a million dollars back for our constituents, which was great. It was a press release. We were able to make uh, successful casework stories, a feature on our website. And at the end of our second year, more people found out about the work we were doing, so more people reached out to our office. And we got, at the end of this past year, $3 million back. So it's Just also, Just for the record, think, you're not stealing from the United States Treasury. No, no it's, we it's are not money, stealing. It's money that was owed to them. <laughs> the to excellent, them. excellent point. But it's, <laughs> it seems small, maybe at the beginning, because you didn't campaign on getting people their money they were owed from the VA or Social Security, but it's an important part of your success. You're absolutely right. And the casework is not just great public service, it's also good politics. Because, you know, I, I think about going back to, to 2010, uh, Congressman Heinrichs, you know, now Senator, but at the time, Congressman Heinrichs, first re-election. 2010 was a really hard year for Democrats. We lost 63 seats. Martin was serving in a seat that had never been served by a Democrat before until he won it in 2008. In that two-year period, we opened and closed 4,600 cases. Martin won by 8,200 votes. Right. So I gotta believe that that type of public service that the office gave to those constituents, showing that we cared, showing that we were gonna fight for them and get them their due, had to help electorally. All right, so I've got I've got two questions left here for you guys. Um, one is, um, um, since I've got Ashley, and you're the only one sitting at this table uh, in the global headquarters here of uh, 14th and G that's actually working on the Hill, what's the vibe of the new Congress? I mean, I, there's some obvious stuff. It's younger, it's more diverse, and, and uh, Mrs. Pelosi's back in charge. Um, but how does folks feel up there? You've got Donald Trump as president, and, you know, what's what's happening? 
folks are very excited. There really is a, a great vibe right now. I mean, you mentioned mentioned the president. I think people are hopeful that, um, at least from the Democratic perspective, that we can kind of put the brakes on some of what's what's going on. Um, but people are excited. It's been a long time that we've been in the majority. There's a lot of staff on the Hill that have never been in the majority before. So they're very excited about what this majority brings. Our It's a lot of members that haven't been on the majority before. It, correct. There are also a lot of members that have never, never been in the majority and just kind of explaining even what that means. And, you know, we got to have a conversation with the boss of, you know, would he want to be in the chair? Is that some you know that's yeah. never been an option before? Do you want to do you want to do yeah. that? But even our communications director mentioned to me, kind of jokingly, he was like, "Man, this whole time I thought maybe I was bad at my job. Like I could never get these reporters. We're obviously in a big media market to call me back, and now all of a sudden, like the Trib is calling us all the time. You know, <laughs> he was like, "This majority thing is going to be fun. They actually care now. Like what we what we have to say. So there's some great opportunities in that too. Everyone's just really excited. It's it's I will say one of my personal favorite things and this is maybe being a house guy um the volume of new house members which happens every two years is a really energizing thing right i mean there's a whole bunch of new people who bring new perspectives whether they be republican or democrat almost doesn't matter i mean they're they're different they haven't been here yet they're coming to change the world and some of them are going to do some of that um which is pretty cool um all right, so uh, as a last couple of questions here, um, our clients um, or clients in general, folks in general, want to get in and talk to new members right away, and they want to say, hey, my issue is the most important issue in the world, and you should you should learn about my issue before anybody else's issue. i got to be honest. like I kind of struggle with that. I kind of struggle with the timing of when you go in and kind of educate members um, on things because sometimes they're not set up and ready to willing to hear you yet. And sometimes you don't want it to go too long until, you know, somebody else tells your story before you get a chance to tell them. So what is your thought, Ashley, on that? Like, you know, um, where's the kind of sweet spot between, you know, welcoming them off the airplane and explaining why your your issue is the most important thing in the world and waiting six weeks, eight weeks until they have some staff? That's a good question. And it, it's tough. I mean, I think the, the first thing is making sure, you know, the staffer that's going to handle that issue has been hired. Um, I think it is totally fair that once that person is in place to go ahead and reach out. Um, people are going to be overwhelmed, but it's also that's a part of the staffers education process to get to know um, these stakeholders and the issues and both sides of those issues. So I think, you know, I in setting up um, Brad's office, I appreciated people that at least gave me a minute to get <laughs> get staffed up, like let me hire my healthcare person and then absolutely I'll introduce you. Sure. Um, so I think if you can wait till they get staffed up and but then you know i wouldn't hesitate just to you know don't be pushy demanding for that meeting like right this week but saying i'd love to love to come in and, and brief you you know when you get settled and and the cadence is important too going in immediately introducing yourself and making a substantive serious big lift ask is not the right way to go uh you know just from a you know what you remember and what's important uh, standpoint, I just remember doing this now both with the House and the Senate, You know, when, when folks come in to just say, look, I just want to educate you about what we do, I don't have an ask at this point, um, but I want to make sure that you at least had some background so that you know, I may have to come back in three months, six months, two years uh, with an ask, but today I just want to tell you why this issue is important or why it's important to your state. Yeah. What I'd say is this: the committee process this time is a little bit slower. It's 
going up. It's a few weeks behind probably what it normally is, which probably means staffing's a few minute, a few weeks behind. Uh, is that your experience? You feel like the newer folks, you know, since they don't exactly know what committees they're on, they're at least holding maybe a couple of staffers back. Maybe they hired their caseworkers and their other folks in districts. Does that about seem about right for now? Absolutely. I mean, everyone, I'm, I'm in a similar situation right now in our office. You know, we had someone leave to go be an LD for a freshman member, which was great. Great. Um, but instead of hiring that person, you know, right away, I'm waiting to see uh, what committee I get on. And then not only that, I'm waiting to see what subcommittees we get on. So if you think that, you know, we're just now starting the exclusive process today, then you're going to get to the other committees and then the committees still need to then organize after that to do the draft for their subcommittees that you know it could easily be you know beginning of february before people have their legislative staffers in place um okay so here's what i'll we'll go around the horn on this one um you know if you had one piece of advice to give to a new freshman member or even a chief of staff, be it Senate or House, you know, what's the advice you'd give them? Um, and I don't, it doesn't have to be big picture stuff. Um, um, you know, I'll start with me. I, I've worked at a handful of offices and I've worked with a whole bunch of new members. And um, the advice I give a lot of them is to use their calendar, right? So use it both blank and not blank, right? So if, um, if every Tuesday you know you have a breakfast um, and your staff brings in someone different every Tuesday for that breakfast, be it a policy breakfast or whatever, you can kind of get your head around that. If you know that Friday afternoons you're cooked, don't put your big bunch of reading and stuff that you have to do on Friday afternoons. So my advice in a, on a very small tactical level is always as a chief of staff and as the member, um, figure out what the calendar looks like. Try to get some rhythm to your week. Try to get some rhythm to your briefing schedule um, so that it becomes a little bit more natural and it's Tuesday morning and you say, okay, cool, what am I getting briefed on today? What about you, Absolutely. I think um, the main thing is just right now, slow down. You've got all the time in the world. There's a lot coming at people. Um, And I think especially for new members and new chiefs, you know, focus on home first. The whole DC um, environment of getting to know folks, that will come and we'll get there. Make sure that you've got your district office. Make sure you've got good staff and don't feel bad about investing a lot of time and resources to get the district office up and running to make sure you've got computers and internet and that you've got good staff. Don't rush that interview process. If you're rushing it and you're forcing it, you almost always regret it. That has been my experience, but Mm -hmm. just slow down, focus it home at first, and then the DC stuff will come. And then after that, it's just taking, you know, set your three goals and just focus on those and the rest of the stuff will come, but just break it down a little bit piecemeal. Yeah. Hire right. Don't hire rushed. And you hire right so you don't have to hire often. And you really put time and investment in, in getting the right people in. Uh, the other advice I would, I would give a new member uh, is set your expectations properly. Again, you know, you're not gonna, you're not gonna go in and, and... I don't think you can be a freshman chief of staff anymore. Probably not, probably not. Set your expectations uh, properly, set reasonable goals, uh, and, and know that you can sell those. But then also on the unofficial side, get your finance team established. Absolutely. Uh, that clock is ticking now. Yeah. So at, I just will point this out that Ashley pointed out, said to slow down and speed up. That's both <laughs> things that she just said. <laughs> both things she just said. All right. Classic. Um, so uh, Ashley, Steve, I really appreciate you coming into 14th and G. And uh, uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks, thanks CR. CR. Appreciate it.
It's nice to have Ashley and Steve here in studio. If you're looking for me, my email address is wooters at mc-dc.com. And until next time, at the intersection of business and policy, we'll be right here at 14th and Jing.